there's an ideal self, an ideal version of ourselves to which we can strive and which would be, I would say, objectively beautiful. Hello and welcome back to another Mind Matters. Today we'll be discussing the subject of beauty. What is beauty? How do we perceive beauty? What is it about something that makes it, to our minds, beautiful? What value does beauty have in our lives? And there are so many different distinctions that one can make in describing beauty in nature, in art, in the everyday, that it's rather a pretty broad subject. But we're going to look into this subject today and describe what we think beauty is, what place it holds for us, why we appreciate the beautiful things in our lives, and at a time when we're preoccupied with a lot of, let's say, worldly events and, and concerns, how beauty might serve us to elevate ourselves and feed that part of ourselves that yearns for nurturing and reminds us of those things that are higher of uh, of a, a larger, more meaningful uh, order of things, uh, an aesthetic, a part of our minds and our souls that uh, almost requires as a type of nourishment and food uh, those things that appeal to our aesthetic, higher sensibilities, if you will. So I thought I'd just begin by speaking on an experience I've had with beauty uh, about a year and a half ago to two years ago. I was looking for bedroom furniture online and went to a few websites that had Mission Furniture, which is this American-style uh, furniture made with wood and, and leather upholstery in many cases. And it had this solid, uh, functional uh, feeling to it that for some reason raised my heartbeat. And the more I looked at it, the more I found that I was excited by these pictures of furniture. Now, I've never uh, owned a piece of Mission Furniture. Uh, they're quite expensive. And I've been in homes where I have experienced mission furniture. I did own a couple of pieces of furniture that were relatively inexpensive that were, I would say, in some ways inspired by this style. But something happened when I looked at these pictures, I, and it, I was quite surprised by it. I was, uh, I was uplifted. I was excited. I was uh, left wondering why I was feeling these emotions about pieces of furniture. I knew that they were beautiful to my mind. I perceived them as, as beautiful and functional. And 
I was also quite puzzled as to why I would have such a reaction to it. Now, I think part of the reason is because I had been so focused on, on other uh, elements of day-to-day living that I, there was a part of me, let's say, that hadn't been uh, nourished or, or hadn't experienced uh, this, for me, elevated uh, feeling uh, that was inspired by these pictures. Uh, and this is separate even from pictures of art or paintings or sculptures, uh, because I, I hadn't felt that excited or interested in, in anything visual uh, for quite a while. Now, I've recently been reading this book by Roger Scruton called Beauty, a very short introduction. It's quite interesting. It doesn't make any definitive claims, but it does make a lot of distinctions about what beauty is or may be, and provides a lot of frameworks by which an individual can describe beauty to themselves. And it's been quite useful to me in some ways in thinking on this subject. And there are a couple of passages here that I think in some ways was a beginning of an answer as to why I got excited by the mission furniture. So this is a short section called Purposiveness Without Purpose. And Scruton writes, The discussion in this chapter has brought us to a crux. I began from the suggestion that aesthetic judgment, like the pleasure that motivates it, is disinterested. And this seemed to imply that beauty and utility are independent values, so that appreciating something for its beauty is quite, diff- quite distinct from appreciating it as a means to some practical purpose. However, purpose, interest, and practical reason keep finding their way back into this judgment from which I began by excluding them. The experience of beauty in architecture, for example, cannot be detached from a knowledge of the functions that a building must serve. The experience of human beauty cannot be easily detached from the profoundly interested desire which stems from it. The experience of beauty in art is intimately connected with the sense of artistic intention. And even the experience of natural beauty points in the direction of a purposiveness without purpose. The awareness of purpose, whether in the object or in ourselves, everywhere conditions the judgment of beauty. And when we turn this judgment on the natural world, it is hardly surprising if it raises, for us, the root question of theology, namely, what purpose does this beauty serve? And if we say that it serves no purpose but itself, then what purpose is that? Once again, we recognize that the beautiful and the sacred are adjacent in our experience, and that our feelings for the one are constantly spilling over into the territory claimed by the other. So, there is this overlap, he seems to be saying, between the objects that we make that a designer would intend to be beautiful and such things that we might find in nature that are beautiful in and of themselves. And there's something about the experience of something beautiful 
whether it's through something that's designed purposefully or something that's naturally occurring that, uh, in, in either way, and I'm, I haven't made all the distinctions clear to myself quite yet, but in either case, it serves to, uh, serves to appeal to a certain part of ourselves that that goes beyond the mundane that goes beyond the uh the kind of um mechanical acts and tasks and and chores and things that we do in the everyday it's a it's a kind of reminder that there are things in this world that um, that attain to or intend to a kind of higher order, if you will, uh, that have an appeal to our uh, sensibilities and to our um, to some kind of. Uh, this is kind of difficult to articulate when when you try and put it <laughs> down to words, but th- there is a. Uh, it, it, and that's why this book is so helpful. It helps to make these distinctions, but. Uh, before I ramble too much, is there any part of that that, that made sense to, to either of you guys? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want, I'll, I'll get into a little battle of the philosophers first to, to take off on some of those points. Um, so you've got Scruton, and I've got Collingwood, um, R.G. Collingwood, Principles of Art. This is what I'm, I'm just going to read a sentence from here. But um, one of the... I think one of the one of the distinctions to make first of all, um, because one of the words that Scruton used was aesthetic, and there were hints and allusions to like art, for instance. So, just to take art off of the table, this book is entirely about art, except uh, Collingwood has three pa- three or four pages on beauty, and then doesn't mention beauty for the rest of the book because he divorces the idea from beauty from art. So when he's talking about art, he's talking about something almost completely different than what we'd think about beauty. Art can be beautiful, but beauty is um, something that uh, something of which art only com- encompasses a, a small portion. So out of all the beautiful things, some of those beautiful things will be art, and the rest are just beautiful in other categories. And he goes back to um, Plato, for whom... He says, the beauty of anything is, for him, that in it which compels us to admire and desire it. Mm-hmm. And a bit further on, he summarizes the, well, he agrees with this view. He says it's perfectly reasonable to just stick with that definition of beauty, because that's how everyone uses it. And I'll give some examples in a minute. But he writes, the word beauty, wherever and however it is used, connotes that in things by virtue of which we love them, admire them, or desire them. So he gives all kinds of examples of things that we can call beautiful that fall into those categories of things we... something about a thing that we love or admire. And he says a steak can be beautiful. You know, a a barbecued steak can be beautiful. Um, Anything like that can be beautiful. You can have a beautiful... um, a beautiful move in sports. You know, a beautiful basketball shot, a beautiful... Um, a, hawk, a, a goalie block or whatever. You can have a beautiful telescope. 
anything that like that not only fulfills its purpose so we can you get to that utilitarian aspect you have something that fulfills a purpose but doesn't just fulfill its purpose it also it's something like extremely well done you can have a telescope that just does the job and then you can have a beautiful telescope that not only does the job but there's something more to it and i think this is an aspect of well i'll approach it from this direction that that as beings you know as as beings that are conscious to some degree there is always a scale of valuation that's going on at any time at every moment and on multiple levels in our in our functioning that is what attracts us to things makes us move makes us move towards or move away from something it makes us strive for certain goals and and avoid other paths of action there's this constant scale of valuation that's going on pushing and pulling and and valuing up and valuing down and seeing one thing as important and one thing as, as less important that automatically creates strictly in our own consciousness uh, a scale of values a hierarchy of values where some things are just valued more and so just keeping it on that subject side of the equation within the the conscious subject conscious just being having a, like any degree of awareness whatsoever there's going to be a, a scale established. And if you take, take the average of, of humans and you were some, somehow able to, to measure all this, you'd be able to find, find certain more or less universal standards. Of course, the, there will never be one standard for everyone, but you might be able to find an average, however useful that is, you know, maybe not very much at all. That's one side of the equation. I think that there, there are always two sides of the equation and, and that the, the, the kind of the sender and the receiver are both as important or, or equally important. Mm-hmm. So um, a materialist or a, um, a, like a realist aesthetician will might argue that beauty is only in the eye of the beholder. There's, it's completely subjective. And there's nothing in the thing itself that is beautiful. But I'd argue that there are, it's actually both. There is a degree of subjectivity and objectivity in beauty. Um, I might get into some examples in a bit. But that there is, well, I'll leave that there for a, for a second, that there is an ob- objective account of beauty and a subjective account. And we experience, of course, we experience it subjectively. We see something beautiful and we have that reaction to the beauty. We have that, you know, as, as Plato, or as inspired by Plato, we might say, oh, that fulfills a desire, that, that provokes an emotion that is pleasing, or um, that fulfills a certain function that gives me satisfaction all of those are values that have been fulfilled in some way um we we have seen something we we are striving or desiring something and we see it and there's that kind of that uh that consummation of that desire in the in the seeing of the thing or in the in the doing of it or uh, just in the experiencing of it there's and and that is rooted in that hierarchy of values in that scale of values so what i i guess the point i want to make on the subjective end of it is because of that because of the nature of consciousness and that it is we are always um pushed or pulled um to, towards or away from from certain things in us that creates an ideal at at ends of the scale for for each of us there is like an infinitude of 
ugly things and beautiful things. And mm -hmm. there is the epitome of beautiful things where we, we might say that is like, that is the perfectly beautiful telescope. You know, you can't make a telescope better than that. Like, and well, and th that might just be a subjective feeling. Maybe you actually could. And you, if you saw it, then you'd say, oh, well, this is the best telescope. But in our minds, that creates an, I in our, in an, that in our minds, that creates an ideal that, uh, an ideal experience or, uh, an, an ideal experience to which some part of us is uh, striving uh, and and desiring to um, to come to 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 approach. So that and that will apply on all different levels of our being. So it might just be when we're searching for furniture, or when we're looking for a telescope, or when we're trying to cook a meal. You know, we're trying to cook a steak, and we we and Every once in a while, either through luck, pure luck, or through just skill, we create a beautiful steak, a beautiful meal, right? So those are all kind of in the, the mundane world, but the, what, what I think what Scruton was hinting at is that there are higher levels on which this something operates, right? There seems to be almost a, a religious element to it or, or something, and I think that also comes down to this scale of values because we don't just see see beauty in objects, or at least some people don't, because some people do. Some people, the only beauty they probably see is in objects. And but there can be, um, I'll I'll get to this a bit further on in the discussion too. There is a like there's a hierarchy of values. There's a hierarchy of beauties, let's say, of things in which you can see beauty and recognize beauty. There can be a, like a beautiful action, a beautiful way of being, a beautiful, like a moral action. When you're watching a movie or you see an interaction with someone you know or family members, friends, or you hear a story about an action that is just in its essence beautiful, a decision that's beautiful, uh, not necessarily a decision, a, a, a decision that is manifested in action, that is probably one of the most beautiful things I think in 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 humanity is to have. A, well, I'll go further than that because it's not just a perfectly or beautifully executed action. Because, like I said earlier, that can be a a goal in some sport. It's not. I mean, it can be really beautiful, but there's still something higher than that. That's why I think that a moral action is mm -hmm. even higher than, even higher than that is that that's, that's really when you get down to the, the basic um, like developmental level of, of humanity, that there is something in us to which we're striving. There is a version of us to which we're striving that is higher than the version of us that we are now. And the achievement of that ideal Again, that ideal that has been formed in us through our that even just the tendency of our of our of our being to to seek for better things, that on the level of our self as a whole, there is an ideal. There's an ideal self, an ideal version of ourselves to which we can strive, and which would be, I would say, objectively beautiful. Not only beautiful for ourselves in order to see it in others and in order to experience it in ourselves. But an I but objectively beautiful in the sense of having significance and meaning not just for us but for the cosmos, you know, for for a mind that the, the mind that encompasses our minds and from which our mind comes, that there is a um, basically beauty from the cosmic perspective, 
And if we, again, go to like this definition based on Plato, whatever uh, the word beauty connotes that in things by virtue of which we love them, admire them, or desire them. So to use religious language, it would be the, the things in humanity, in us, by virtue of which God or the absolute or the, or the cosmic mind loves us, admires us, or desires us, or just our, just whatever it is on that higher level, where, whether it's a higher self or like an, an oversoul or, or the totality of all consciousness in the universe. It's that's, that by virtue of which um, makes us serve our purpose, you know, and do, do the right thing essentially in our lives, in our context for the purpose of a, a wider and higher goal. Mm. Well, I, I really, I like that idea, um, especially the, the religious, and you, you were talking about the oversoul. Um, and I'm thinking more just in terms of the, the collective um, uh, choice, mating choices that are made on you know, just the, the macro level throughout the human history, and how beauty plays such an important role in mm -hmm. that, in attraction, and having an accurate judgment of beauty, of what makes people actually beautiful, is, um, is such a critical part of healthy choices in that sense. I mean, like nowadays, you know, our, our values are so warped that, you know, a lot of people make choices that they regret, and then the divorce rate, you know, skyrockets, and it destabilizes society. Because we don't really know what is beautiful or how to try and attain what is beautiful. And what is beautiful is, like you said, those things that would make us admired by God, by something that is, by an abstract, maybe in the abstract sense, something that is so virtuous and so perfect that we pale in comparison as, you know, lowly sinners or just mortal beings, and yet we should strive to attain some sort of status in, in the eyes of, of God. And that having a, a system like that can help to sustain healthy choices, healthy mating choices. And you know, the, uh, many political scientists have put forth the idea that um, the disruption in, um, in this fundamental system has led to the, the the breakdown of the family and the, the rise in, in crime and, and many, other, uh, many other pathologies that continue to spread. Um, so that's one reason, I guess, uh, one argument for why beauty is important. But um, I also wanted to get back to what you were talking about when you were making the distinction between subject and object in beauty. Because Plato's description is heavily towards the subjective mm -hmm. um but to me it it seems like on the objective level there's always something of a of a revelation that that occurs in beauty it's it's not it's something that you can't really put your finger on um you know like like we were discussing in a previous show on the fourth dimension you know you can't really quite tell why there is you know why there's a, a cube or you can't explain to a square that there's a cube, but you know there's something, this flash of light that comes through when this cube is moving through two-dimensional space 
that signifies that there's something bigger there. There's something beyond just your your perspective, uh, your limited perspective. And there, in in beauty, um, you know, like like you said, there's there's a number of different ways that beauty can manifest, but it like it always seems to have it always seems to have some revelatory thing that it 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 teaches you that it instructs you on some emotional level um about about what you value and how to go about valuing or how to go about feeling correctly or properly or you know it gives you um it gives you sustenance like you were saying just with the example of you know beautifying your your room um, you know, just that that little simple act of 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 bringing more beauty, um, more of something that is uh, beautiful to your living space was a, a sustenance of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it because there's the beauty, it manifests in so many different ways. Just think of you know a couple examples. I'm thinking of, you know, like ancient monuments, you know, like monuments in, in Greece or in Turkey. Um, what's that? What's the name? Goblek Tepe. How do you pronounce, yeah, how do you pronounce it? Gobekli Tepe. Tempe. Tepe. Tepe. Uh, you think about, or, or in, Tibet, in Tibet, or just these magnificent monuments that are eroded by time, and yet there's still something fundamentally beautiful about them. And then you go like, like downtown Philadelphia or something, <laughs> yeah. and you see a a rundown a rundown building, and you know it's in principle it's similar. It's a building that's been run down, but there's something about the magnificence and the creative transformation and the vision of these people um, that instructs you in some way. You see the the beauty in it is is something that you don't see with your eyes you don't hear with your ears if it's a beautiful piece of music and if it's a beautiful idea you don't see it with your eyes or your ears or your senses it it it's a it imparts its beauty on you in some other way mm-hmm. yeah. so it's uh there's something about this whole topic that um that it, it, it's rightfully plagued philosophers and, yeah. and all of us and it's difficult to touch because it is uh it is so comprehensive and it's so uh hard to hard to uh, verbalize it's like as i said it's always something of a revelation and you know mystics always get in trouble whenever they try and or you know a lot of them do whenever they try and discuss their their experience there's um you know because it's trying to take the sacred and bringing it into the profane and mm-hmm. using logic or uh, you know algebra or something like mm-hmm. <laughs> like plato well it it when you were saying that i was thinking about the uh beautiful names of god uh the the term that we'd find in sufism and when one reads religious texts one isn't usually used to thinking of the beautiful things one is uh used to terms like uh morals and um and values or, or words of that ilk. But there is a suggestion that there is a, a, a value, a, however ephemeral, that, that is uh, alluding to something 
that is, like you were saying, difficult to put one's finger on, but nonetheless has a a, a spiritual um, level all of its own, uh, and that isn't so. Um, that isn't mundane at all. That isn't superficial in the sense that we might ordinarily think of uh, when we look at an object and and say, "Well, gee, that's beautiful." Uh, there, there is a. <clears throat> I mean, I I started this off with with a discussion of furniture and how that made me feel, but <laughs> but yes, there are there there is such a thing as a beautiful act <clears throat> or or a beautiful. Uh, intent or a beautiful um uh gesture uh all of these things um work on a level that we're just now working to describe for ourselves uh and make sense of and and part of this process is also developing the language and the words uh out of which we can describe these things to ourselves because we're not used to um, making sense of what the beautiful things or the beautiful names uh, are and how they affect us and how they might exist as a reflection of something that already exists on another level. You mentioned, you know, the ancient statue and how even as worn down and, and, uh, and, weather-worn it may be after many centuries of not being maintained, its idea, its inspiration, the vision of the creator uh, might have had a better handle on what's beautiful than some modern piece of architecture in downtown Philly. Uh, and that and that speaks through or to us even in its decrepit form. So... It remains for each of us to develop a criteria for beauty in all things, if we want to, and and find a language to describe it to ourselves in such a way that includes the emotional, as you were saying, because it's not it's not merely uh, something to be contemplated. It's not merely this kind of dry. A critique of something's virtues as a work of art it is something to be experienced and contemplated and thought about so that we have a greater criteria from which to decide what things are beautiful and and what things are may in fact be ugly mm -hmm. i want to get a little bit deeper into this side, what might be this objective nature of beauty? Because I think one of the problems is that that comes up and it's a large, it's largely a result of modern philosophy is that there is, there are no objective values, for instance. So this has been the, one of the primary conflicts between the religious mindset and the, the modern scientific materialist mindset is that there is no objective scale of values because the people who say that reject the religious point of view associated with all of the specific dogmas of certain religions um, in the West, primarily uh, Christianity, that it is God 
and the the atheist's conception of the Christian's conception of God, who creates these values like by fiat and says, oh, these things are good and right and moral, and these things aren't. And here I wrote it on these tablets for you, which is a very simplistic and kind of like low level of of uh, religious thought in my point of view. But they reject that, and then they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater to, to the point where there are there are no objective values. But <clears throat> well, and I just I reject that just you know from the from the get go um, based on reasons. But uh, <laughs> but as a as a way into the 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 objectivity of a certain sense of values. I think a good analogy to kind of get there from the side is is through music. Uh, music's been mentioned a couple times before because there's a there's a mathematical nature to music, and if you have a three note chord, do mi so, and you take any one of those notes and you just digitally like shift that note down, you'll get an out of tune chord. And if you get another one, you'll get it even more out of tune, and it'll it will stop to sound harmonious because it's not it's not following the the laws of harmony. But when you shift them back into tune, like when you're tuning a guitar or a violin or any stringed instrument, they come into harmony, and there's a this pure sound that sounds right. And of course, part of that part of that rightness is of course culturally conditioned because we we've we we are raised with with music in harmony, right? So. Um, so there is a, there is a subjective element, but there is also the objective element that there, there is, there, there is this, there is an objectivity towards notes being in tune with each other, according to various sets of, you know, mathematical vibrational rules. But I'd argue there is, um, the, the person who, the, the Pythagoras or whoever it was that, uh, no, it wasn't Pythagoras. It was someone very much earlier than him that discovered those er, those primitive harmonies for the first time it was truly a discovery it wasn't an invention of harmony it was a discovery of it it was something latent in the structure of the cosmos that was uncovered that was unveiled and it was discovered and now we have music and so i think that an, uh, that can be an analogy for the objectivity of values is that fr from that something very simple like it's just a chord it's not a song it's not a it's not a piece of music it's just a simple chord there it is, no musicality whatsoever to it, just three notes. But that's almost like a synecdoche or a, um, you know, a, a holograph of the whole of music. That there are, that there are compositions to which composers strive. You know that they're that they're fishing from out of the out of the imagination to put down on paper and to and to be performed. And just like that. That chord was first fished out of the the ether of these vibrations to find those correspondences and those uh, those relationships between those notes to find that perfect harmony. And so I'd say that there, just like there is harmony implicit in the in the in in the cosmos, that there are values and there is beauty implicit in the in the cosmos, and those are the ideals to which we strive. Mm -hmm. But to bring to come back to the subjective element. Um, and the multi-levelness of of the the cosmos and of people, that there is a there will be conflicts and there will be a subjectivity to beauty, for instance. So, um, and the, the the analogy, the, the the image that comes to mind when I think of that is uh, a path up a mountain. The mountain, the summit, is the goal. That is the ideal. That is the the beautiful. If you can encompass all the beautiful in that point, 
And let's say that the direction, you know, you're on the south end of the mountain, the direction's north. Well, in order to get up that mountain, you're going to have to be going west, east. You're going to have to fall back south sometimes and make your way there. At any given moment, you're not going north. You're, you're seeing, and the, the analogy would be, you're not seeing the beautiful as, as it is on that summit. You're seeing something else that you find beautiful at the moment because that's the direction you have to head in to get there. And someone else on a different part of the path might, be, might see something else be going in a different direction and find beauty in that other thing. And they might be completely at odds with each other, but they're both, they're both suitable to the context of that, that person in their position and at their place on the path. So this, will, this can relate to the, the multi-levelness of human development in the sense that a person at a very low dev- level of development will find certain things beautiful that may be ugly to another person. And it's because they're not on the same path. You know, they, they, they have different lessons to learn. Um, Dabrowski has a section in his last book on, on the aesthetic experience and the different perceptions of beauty. And just to give a couple examples, one he gives is like for the lowest level of, uh, of beauty in his mind, there is this attraction to what he calls... Um, like primitive realism, like hard to find shapes. This would be the equivalent of like the, 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 the pinnacle of your aesthetic experience and your perception of beauty might be having uh, like a cheap bust of George Washington in your, you know, in your office. And it's like, oh, that's a beautiful sculpture. Well, no, it's a pretty cheap sculpture. I mean, it's, it's well done, but there's nothing really like, you know, great about it, right? Or, or on, a, on a personal, interpersonal level, it's like looking for the 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 looking for a, a partner who is attractive physically attractive sexually attractive and that's the like the pinnacle of beauty might be might be you 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 get lucky and find the most beautiful woman or man and and get them to be your partner and it's like okay well that's beautiful you've got a beautiful partner that's like a certain level of of beauty and it is true in a, in a second I'll I'll talk a bit about that kind of level of beauty. But let's go with that example, for instance, um, the, with the partner. It's like you might have the most stunningly attractive person who is totally ugly on the inside. Right. But I would say that there still is, there still is an objective beauty on that physical level. Mm-hmm. It just loses, loses its importance at, at a, like a higher level of, of, of development where other things become more important than the, the physical beauty. Now it now it's what kind of person are you? It's like are you actually a beautiful person, a beautiful soul? Do you do you perform beautiful actions, you know, right action? Um, and then for that person who does, that might that's is another form of beauty. For a person who well, um, to come back to something you'd said, Corey like earlier, um, you you met you said something like um I'll paraphrase but that that people kind of can't see the beauty or they're striving for the beauty but they can't really see it at the at the at the moment and I think in that moment what you were talking about was this kind of like the, this higher beauty this like ideal beauty and I'd just add to that that um that everyone I think does recognize beauty but they only recognize the beauty that they can perceive on their level because it's like you're your your perception your your perception of beauty is almost kind of like a 
some kind of viewfinder where it can be like really narrow where you only see a tiny spot of reality and the wider your perception gets and the more you know and the more you see, the more beauty you see, the, 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 the more beauty you see on multiple levels and in areas where, where previously you hadn't been able to see any beauty. So, um, oh, where was it going to go with that? So, well, I forget what my next point was going to be. It was a really good one, but it'll come back to me. But to just really quickly go back to, no, I'll end it. I'll end it there. What do you guys, do you guys have anything to say based on that? Well, it, it, uh, it stuck out in my mind as well that there are dimensions to people that are beautiful that may not be apparent unless you're already kind of aware and awake to what those dimensions may be uh how they speak or sing or what informs their thoughts and conversation these are things that uh, we can perceive as beautiful and experience as beautiful and that completely transforms someone who might otherwise be not especially uh, gorgeous, uh, but they might take on a completely different uh, visage and, and presence and being and experience in another person uh, because of how they relate to reality because of how they relate to other people. Um, so this is a, a dimension to beauty uh, that, that I think makes one fall in love with another person, uh, that there's something of an ideal uh, that we experience in that other person uh, when we're talking about the, the beauty of, a, of the object of one's love. Uh, that is um, that causes us to uh, to fall to see the to see a, another face of God, if you will. Uh, so there's that element that um, that I think awakens something in us that that we might already have uh, awareness of that expands our our view of what another person can be and, and what they manifest as, as individuals, as faces of, of God, as uh, representatives of, of beautiful traits uh, in, in the world. Uh, so there's that element. And I did want to add something about your music analogy, Harrison, because the, um, when you were talking about the the chords that were discovered that were already in fact there, uh, it reminded me a little bit of dissonant music uh, in what we would find with the compositions of Bela Bartok or Igor Stravinsky. These modernist, uh, cacophonist, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, dissonant pieces of music that ushered in a whole new understanding of what music could be and that on their surface might be considered ugly but if i if i'm to understand scruton correctly reaches you know has such a an understanding of 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 music in its composition that it reaches what he might call a sublime uh level of beauty uh, that is um and one analogy he gives is the 
the art you'd find in a portrait or a painting that's beautiful next to say a photograph of um a, a rugged uh jagged mountain that you would find by the work of photographer ansel adams that that is yes in one respect it's raw and it's powerful and it's almost overwhelming and it's a depiction of nature uh but it it reaches the sublime it's um it's it's a a very kind of accurate uh description of of something that is on one level ugly but on another level uh almost overwhelmingly beautiful in its ugliness um if that makes any sense whatsoever yeah that that leads me to uh what was going to be my next point well i'll <laughs> no, I'll, uh, i might read something from dabrowski um yeah on that because we've talked about dabrowski before and his kind of his levels of development right and so i gave the example one example he gives of level one is just the the purely utilitarian beauty of you know the the stat, the bust of george washington and um as opposed to let's say like a rembrandt that uh, that has a, you know a level of of let's say perception and um and like an evocation of uh of a greater depth of emotion than just you know a stock piece of what was and is like political propaganda which can be good it's like i like political propaganda every once in a while but uh but it's not like the epitome of of beauty or anything like that for for some people then the second level um, of of dabrowski would be this it's where things start to clash where there isn't this rigid um this rigid rigid like rock-like personality structure which you know knows what it is knows what it wants and there's no no perception or no desire or no striving for anything higher that structure starts to break down in level two where where you get a conflict a, you know a push and pull in different directions and so um this is actually where where dabrowski would put most like uh most dissonant music um like 12 tone series that kind of stuff um because uh, i'll read a little bit of what he said here um well first of all in t in art in, a, in, a, in an aesthetic experience of this sort, at this level, there, according to Dabrowski, there is a, an absence of recognition and of connection between aesthetic sensitivity and self-perfection. So that implies at higher levels there's going to be a connection with this idea of self-perfection in art. Art won't be strictly art for art's sake, but it'll be integral, integrally linked with one's own spiritual development and self-perfection. Mm -hmm. um, that's lacking at level two. Level level two is um, because of these pushes and pulls. It's like a an ambivalence towards the world. It's like the 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 ugly will be like you said as beautiful as the as the beautiful because there's no differentiation between the two. There's no. Um, it's pretty much a like a smorgasbord of of reality where everything is on the same level, all equal, and because everything's on the same level, there's no. There's no motivation. Um, there's nothing to to. There's nothing to rise up in 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 opposition to something below, right? Because they're on the same level, things stay on that level. So what he writes is that um, a a hierarchical experiencing is manifested in search for disintegration and decay 
in art. Break down in harmony without hierarchization. Expression of pathological breakdown depicting special pathological symptoms and syndromes. This can be seen in that type of modern art which is preoccupied with fragmentation of faces, figures displacement, uh, figures displacement of limbs and features, visual disorientation, as pathological anatomy and, physio and physiology depicted in art or film, as the art of the negative, delimited by typology and biological constitution, no transcending of one's type. That's some Dabrowski jargon. Um, rebellion against norms and harmony with concentration on abnormality. Contrasts of the positive and the negative of equal strength and equal attraction. Equipotentiality of good and evil. Quote, uh, heaven and hell burn with the same fire, end quote. So there is this, this ambivalence and ambitendency where, it's, it's, uh, where you can focus on just pure decay and find that beautiful and focus on something that's more conventionally beautiful and find that beautiful. But there's almost a focus on the, the, the disjointedness of, of that. This, would, this, would, this is a, uh, an appreciation. Again, this is a, a path on the, the uh, a way station on the path to the beautiful summit where everything is seen equally and there's, there's a, a pull towards towards all these different faces of God mm -hmm. with no distinction and no differentiation. So this is where the, the, this is where you might find an artist who's just, I'd say like pathologically fascinated with, with the ugly, with the decay, with the, 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 with the deformation and with the, in, in music, he doesn't mention music, but it's the same. You see the same, um, um, tendencies in 20th century composition where it's a fascination with the breakdown of harmony and but like he says in in um in some of these sentences there's the um the preoccupation with and the concentration on it's like there's this there's some part of that that person's being that is focused on that mm -hmm. without the without the thing that would reconcile those contradictions or that would that would bring life out of the decay Mm -hmm. just focus on the decay. So there's, like I said, it's like a, a pathological, um, like almost obsession with the, with the negative, like ugly faces of God. Mm -hmm. Then when you move on to the higher levels in Dabrowski's system, um, um, let's see one. Okay. So he writes the, the need to introduce and comprehend pathology in art not as a source of fascination, but in a larger hierarchical context of human experience. So that's not that there's no place for ugliness in art, but for, for, for Dabrowski, who's focused on development, which is transcending of lower levels to achieve higher levels, that needs to, that element of self-perfection has to be present in that art for it to be on that level, or more accurate, or perhaps more accurately, has to be present in the, in the aesthetic experience of the individual, for that level to be present, that um, that along with the ugliness will will should either come the like the redemption and the the ascension out of the ugliness, or even just to imply its presence or its need, because I can think of examples like that where, and this is where it gets really hairy when you get into art criticism. But when you're looking at a at a at a movie or a, or a poem or something that's focused on the on the the ugly mm -hmm. and you say oh well what's the purpose of that is it just strictly this 
this um, glamorization of the ugly for the sake of its ugliness, mm-hmm. or is it saying something about the, the, the need to transcend this ugliness, mm. right? And, yeah. and I think there are both. I think there are artists who are just genuinely um, fascinated with like the the dregs of human experience and like the absolute bottom of of of, of human experience. And I would put uh, who's that filmmaker in there? The guy that did uh, Dogville and. Uh, um, and, uh, that nymphomaniac movie. But anyways, from, from everything I've seen of him and everything I've read about him, he just seems like a scummy human being, pardon, you know, not to judge, but there just seems to, there, he's one of those artists and he's not the only one that I just see that, that, that fascination w- with just the pure ugliness. Mm-hmm. But then you get some. You can get some amazing works of art with just the with the ugliest things. Think about the the most ugly things you can think of in terms of, in terms of human experience, and yet it could be. Um, think of a lot of let's just say, speaking in generalities, like war movies, like a good war movie where you see the absolute depths of like of backstabbing and murder and torture, and yet. A really simple example of a bad example would be um, horror movies that are just torture porn, for instance, mm-hmm. that just sh- that just show um, nothing redeeming. Yeah, there's whatsoever. nothing redeeming about them. It's not yeah. like oh, here's here's the ho- here's the 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 sublime tragedy of the human experience and and torture. It's like no, here's just some torture to to get your jollies on. Mm-hmm. And there's it's not hinting at anything like repulsive about it. It's just repulsion for the sake of repulsion. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a movie like, well, there was a good example, a movie I saw years ago. Um, um, the one about the Irish um, resistance guy who's in prison. Uh, what's the name of the movie? Oh, uh, with um, Michael Fassbinder. Yeah. 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 I forget what that one's called. Uh, we'll, uh, yeah. I, I know yeah. We'll thought. find it, but you can find it. Just search Michael Fassbinder. And like that movie is about his experience in, in prison and being tortured, but it's a beautiful movie because there is something else to it. Mm-hmm. There is the, there is the, the clear, the clear experience of there being, of this being a, um, not only an example of the, like of a supreme injustice and of, of torture, like literal torture, but also there, there is that, that's, that hint in the kernel of something to strive towards and the, by its absence, the, the, the good and the noble is, is recognizable and tangible by its absence in the experience of the, of the the characters in the film. And you see a beauty of spirit as portrayed in the film Mm -hmm. that, that is experiencing this, that isn't present in just some torture porn horror movie. Um, and as that, as these levels of exp- of aesthetic experience get higher and higher, I think there's there's more of there would be more of an integration of like like that an integration of experiences where the most important and the most beautiful thing becomes development itself and self perfection and a uh, and an approach and realization of that personal ideal of that of that personal um, of that ideal sense of or that ideal self that that we are striving to achieve in ourselves that we are so far away from in in our order in, in our ordinary lives mm-hmm. and that 
that um and that i think would would approach an almost like religious aesthetic and and sensibility um which might have something to do with like Corey was talking about about ancient monuments and if you look at the the great uh, cathedrals from like the 1200s and and later on and the the well a lot of religious art from all over the world there is there's something something about it that isn't just that isn't just propaganda like a bust of George Washington there's something that calls towards something inside and almost acts as a magnet from above to 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 raise us up a bit and maybe to maybe to inspire us to to aid the process along and do a little bit of work ourselves to to approach that level well uh getting to your analogies and hunger is the name of the movie hunger yes so uh there is this i think there is a the, the value of ugliness uh would seem to me to be just having a reference point uh, from which to to appreciate beauty in that case, because if, like you were saying, there is you know there is torture porn and, and all kinds of uh, bad films and 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 for that matter bad music, and if you want to talk about paintings, there are the you know the black velvet paintings with the uh, with the dogs playing pool and uh, beautiful. <laughs> when, when we when we know those things. Uh, and we can say to ourselves, um, and I'm just pulling these examples, uh, when we can say, when we can assign ugliness to them, when we experience the aversion to them, when we look at them and and decide that they're not worthy of our extra moment of uh, consideration, uh, of taking it in, of perceiving it, of contemplation, then it, then we have, I think, at least a, a benchmark uh, from which to, uh, within ourselves, develop our own faculties or standards and valuations of what is beautiful. Um, and so th- there is, I guess, there is something to be said for for knowing what ugly is for oneself, uh, knowing what ugly behavior is. Well, uh yeah, I was just going to say what you're talking about, you know, valuing or or determining the value of these things and ugliness is pretty cheap. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's pretty easy. You know, it's so easy to be an ugly person. It's the, pretty much the default. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go around, you see all sorts of ugliness. It's it, it's cheap, but, you know, the beauty is it's very expensive and, you know, actually literally it will cost money to get beautiful things. Right, and it costs, um, but even more important than that, more um, in tune with our conversation is the it costs energy. Um, it it costs uh, effort to create beautiful things or to act in a way that is um, that is beautiful uh, for other people. It takes time and patience and diligence and uh, you know the practicing of of many virtues. You know, just um, all sorts of different virtues. You know, in in order to uh, create a beautiful uh, person, right? To uh, to practice uh, temperance and to to practice uh, tranquility and industriousness and being organized. And um, you know, these uh, these values, this value uh, imprints itself on you in the form of character, 
right over time that's that's what distinguishes men more than anything else is is the character and when you know um, what you value um, usually it's because of periods of, of great suffering when you know what it's like to be without um, something like like beauty and uh, to to live in that kind of a that, an ugly just a very ugly world or to um, go through history and and to find times um, where the ugliness is is so is is just the is monolithic mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm thinking specifically just in terms of you know that um, that one man with his arms crossed in that nazi that nazi rally mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like a work of art in some ways you know people you know appreciate it it has some beauty and it's just one man with his arms crossed in a in the in a sea of people i don't know if the picture is even real or not mm-hmm. but it's been around for so it's a good long image. but it's a good image and it's just one guy with his arms crossed in this sea of um, of people giving the, the saying how the, the Nazi salute, and it's you know it's 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 beautiful, right? That just that one thing. It's tragic. It's you know you know what it, it's you know you know it's it's terrifying. And like you were talking about, there's the ugliness there. But how, you can know. also be funny if you imagine that he was just daydreaming and you know forgot to give the salute, and then you know a second after the photo was taken, he puts his arm up. But that. Uh, It'd also yeah. be funny if he wasn't wearing any pants. Yeah, <laughs> but but the point, you know, what the point is um, that yeah, that's those like um, beauty can can be uh, just about anything. In 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 the in the absence of of anything else beautiful, something as simple as that is is stunning. Is stunningly um, gorgeous in in many ways. But but yeah, that you know, to decide what what you value is is not easy, and it's it's not cheap. And that's, um, that's the, but that's also the fun part of, of building that hierarchy uh, of values, because that's what makes life meaningful. Without it, everything is, <laughs> right? Yeah. But now. <laughs> well, so this gets me to thinking, you, you said that having beauty in one's life is, uh, it's an expensive venture. It costs a lot, especially to develop uh, in one's character or actions um, a lot of oneself, a lot of one's time and energy to evoke the beautiful, evoke the good life, evoke uh, what's higher in ourselves. And yet, uh, on a more mundane level, we can, separate from that, there's something to be said, I think, for uh, cleaning one's room, uh, for, um, for the, the basic good taste, for hospitality, for, uh, the order and the, uh, the, the, the cleanliness and the, um, and the kind of good, uh, sense that's required of someone to just run a, a household where, you have just enough objects of art to be appreciated and, and very little clutter and clean floors and everything in its right place and a lawn that gets regularly mowed. Uh, all of these things are a value. All of these things are, are reminders of, 
of beauty and, and higher values as well, I think. And we needn't get too wrapped up in uh, philosophy or, or art criticism to appreciate those things and what we can do to evoke them to remind ourselves of, of the beautiful, of, the, of order out of chaos. Uh, so that's a, that's a, I think a point that, um, that brings this down to this conversation down to, uh, the everyday, uh, and, and the useful as well. And I think it's from that point, uh, that we, we can add on to other, uh, other values and higher values it's uh it's kind of a baseline and um if that's uh if that's everything guys we're going to call it a day we hope you enjoyed the show we hope you're doing well and thanks for listening everybody